coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Curtis. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. You guys know I'm Tyler, and back with me today is my co-host, Curtis, And today we are recapping the NFL Draft. I know all of you guys were just like Curtis and I. We're watching that all throughout the weekend because, hey, that's like the only live-ish sports that we've had for over a month and might be for another month or so. So we all had to soak that up while we could. But we're talking all things NFL Draft as it relates to our guys from the University of Georgia. There were plenty of awesome developments for our draft prospects. you got Andrew Thomas going in the top five, Isaiah Wilson, getting drafted in the first round as well. But there were also certainly some less than stellar developments as well over the weekend for us to discuss. So we're going to break all of that down here in just a minute. But first, I want to make sure that all of you guys know that we are running our April mailbag episode later this week. So go ahead. If you haven't already, we've already got some great questions sent in, but we're looking for more. So send in any and all questions you may have on really anything. I mean, just about anything goes here. Uh, You can talk about the draft, the football team, the 2020 football season, what it might actually end up looking like, recruiting, of course, uh, basketball. We've actually had some hoops news over the past couple of weeks, so that's certainly fair game. Again, really, anything that's on your mind, hit us up, and you can send those questions to us on Twitter. Uh, That's at glory underscore UGA on Twitter, or you can also email them to us at gloryugapodcast at gmail.com, and we are excited to see what you guys want us to talk about. But all right, we have a lot to discuss today, so let's get to it. And I think we have to start this episode with Jake Fromm, and not just because I spent the past three years as the president of the Jake Fromm fan club. I think we have to start there because his drop down into the fifth round and number 167 overall, um, there's just so many angles to that and so much more discussed with that development than really anything else that happened in the NFL draft relative to our players. There's a lot to talk about with, with a bunch of different players, but I think there's more to talk about with Fromm than anything else. So we'll start there. And, and I guess, Kerr, I'll start by simply asking you this question. How surprised were you that Fromm dropped as far as he did down to really like the middle of the fifth round? Um, I was a little surprised just because the fact that you like someone like the Patriots who needed a quarterback was you kept seeing them like trade up to get picks and stuff. So that was yeah. the only thing that kind of surprised me. Uh, but in general, it didn't. I mean, you didn't have a lot of quarterbacks taken. Um, and then, like you know, you and I said, I never thought I. I told I, I never. I didn't even think he would have been taken in the first four rounds. Yeah, like, on some like I wasn't stunned by by the the drop in the fifth round I, I was I was slightly surprised that he got as far into the fifth round as he did you, you're right you and I talked about it on the on the preview episode we did for the NFL draft last week and you know there was some buzz like there always is well you never know whether it's smoke and mirrors or not obviously this turned out to be quite a bit of smoke and mirrors but there was some pre-draft buzz that some teams were kind of viewing him as maybe a, a fringe late first round type guy uh, but then there were also other scouts saying like no this guy'd be lucky if he's taken in the third round and so the the question we were discussing was okay, is he more of a first-round guy or is he more of a third, fourth-round guy? And both of us said he's more of a third or fourth-round guy. That's where we felt he would probably land. So I wasn't shocked at all that we got into the third and into the fourth round. I got a little bit surprised as we kept getting into the fourth round. Actually, you were texting me late in the fourth round on Saturday, and you're like, man, I can't believe he still hasn't gone yet. And I was like, man, I I was just looking at 
the teams who were up next, like the last four or five picks of the fifth round or the fourth round. I was like, man, I don't know if any of those teams are going to take him. I don't think they really are in the market for a quarterback. So at that point, I, like, I think he's going to go in the fifth round. But I, I probably did not go into the draft thinking middle of the fifth round for him, probably more third or fourth round. So I'm mildly surprised, but certainly not stunned um, that he dropped as far as he did. Why do you think uh, – because this is a big question, I guess. Why do you think he dropped as far as he did? Um, I mean, outside of his leadership, nothing jumps off the page at you about his skills and his ability. And it's just as simple as that. Like, he's a good guy, a good quarterback who works hard and studies hard and things like that. But, I mean, there's nothing that sets him apart outside of that than other quarterbacks where, especially if you're going to sit on the bench, you've got time to develop. Yeah, for me, it's – yeah, you're exactly right. And I guess what I would add to that is – I think it's just a, a situation where the NFL just doesn't value what Jake is really good at as much as what he is not good at all at. You know what I mean? Like he's he, he we know he's elite in pre-snap reads and all that kind of stuff and leadership, all those things, the intangible factors. But he is far from elite when it comes to physical tools. And, and look, obviously NFL uh, teams and franchises want their quarterbacks to understand how to play the game, obviously. But they they put far more value on the physical tools because all of these coaches in the NFL, like they're arrogant, arrogant enough to think, Hey, you know what? Even if you don't quite understand it at, at a high level right now, we can bring you in, in here and we can teach you that stuff. We can't teach you the physical tools. I know that's cliche, but it's just true. And they think, you know what? You might not have had as good, as good of coaching in college as you're going to get here with us. And we can teach you those things. And some of these teams might, you know, be in a situation where like maybe a Jordan love where, you know, from the shoulders up, maybe he wasn't all there at the college level where the physical tools are there and he can come sit behind Aaron Rodgers for a couple of years. I don't know. Aaron Rodgers might be demanding a trade. I don't know. I'm still stunned. Were you stunned by that pick? Uh, very stunned. I mean, the guy just signed the contract, what, last year? Oh my God. Yes. And he it actually won the radio. I think it was the Pat McAfee show. Uh, I saw this somewhere on, on in social media, like a couple of days before the draft. And basically it was saying that, yeah, they basically told me they're going to go get, get, get me some weapons in the first round. And that is the opposite of getting him some weapons. I mean, I wasn't shocked to see Jordan Love in the first round because you kind of heard some of that buzz. But to the Packers, wow. But like, if you, but they some of these teams think, okay, we can bring you in behind an, an aging quarterback and we can just let you sit and learn for a couple of years like Aaron Rodgers did with Brett Favre. And then once you learn that stuff, you have the physical tools, you can go out there and you can perform at an elite level. Uh, so, but but Fromm just doesn't have those physical tools. They just simply don't value what as much what he brings to the table as they do the things that he just does not bring to the table at all. Uh, and I also think you have to look at just you know quarterbacks in general. I, I think it's a situation where a lot of the teams at, once those teams in the first rounds got their quarterbacks, there weren't a lot of teams that were in desperate need of a quarterback or even a backup quarterback. Most teams were in pretty good shape. And now, if Jake had more physical tools and he dropped in the second or third round, maybe some teams would have jumped up there and and, um, and grabbed him. But you know, there's just when they don't desperately need a quarterback. And, uh, and Jake certainly is one that doesn't have the physical tools, like we've said. That's some of the, that's, that's what most of these teams are looking for. A lot of these teams are just not going to waste or spend the draft capital it would take to get these guys. So draft picks are very, very valuable. And uh, you've got to fit needs. And I guess and, and this situation just didn't work out for Jake at all. Uh, I'm glad he got drafted because, I mean, at one point, it's like, did you ever at any point like start wondering, like, oh, my God, is he going to get drafted? No, because I knew at the least in the sixth, the seventh round or something, someone would have taken him. Yeah, I mean, somebody, even if they weren't in the market for a quarterback, would is, was going to say, oh, wow, this, the value here with this guy at this point in the draft, it's too much to pass up, which is essentially what the Bills said. I think I saw there was a, a quote from them somewhere, uh, someone in their front office, that they weren't even really the market for a quarterback. They didn't go because they already have three quarterbacks on the roster with, with Allen, Barkley, 
and uh, Davis Mills from from Texas Tech, and I, I guess eventually went to Cal. Um, but uh, you know they have three quarterbacks, and they weren't really in the market. But when you see a guy like Jay Fromm sitting there and the, still available in the middle of the fifth round, it's like, man, like yeah, let's let's take a flyer on that guy because he probably because I mean, how long was I, I know. What the the scouts look at and first, what the analysts say is not it doesn't always align. But how long was Jake Fromm's name sitting up there as like the the best available uh, according to Todd McShay? Like uh, two and a half it, rounds. It felt like it, it felt like ever since uh, day three started. I mean, I I remember some in day two, his name was still up there as like the number one best available guy. I mean, once we got into the third round, uh, so it was, it was a good day and a half at least. It, it felt like maybe I'm wrong. It felt like about a day and a half that his name was up there and you just kept seeing name for name come off the board. And those names were not Jake Fromm. So like, I, I, you're right. I thought he was going to, I knew he would get drafted at some point, but a man uh, certainly was not what he was looking for. There's no doubt there. And look, I know it's done now and it is what it is at this point, but you can't help, but travel back to January and revisit Fromm's decision to declare early for the draft. So Kurt, I mean, looking at it now, I mean, I, I know hindsight is is what it is, but why do you think he decided to ultimately leave early? What was that motivated him to make that decision? It looks like it might not have been the best decision, potentially. Uh, my biggest thing is, for the most part, he wasn't going to change. Uh, the things that caused him to drop lower in the draft were, were things that he just had no control of, over, like his intangibles and things like that, his athleticism. Stuff. That's, stuff, yeah. yeah, the physical stuff wasn't what, what was going to – what was going to change if he had come back. And that, that, I mean, like look at Joe Burrow, the guy, what really set him apart this year was, you know, his reads and things like that, but also just his athletic ability to throws. He was able to make down the field, um, buying time and stuff like that. And that, that's not who Jake ever will be as a quarterback. So he didn't Jake ran a five flat 40, a five flat 40, yeah. five flat. That's, that's I still can't get over that. I mean, I knew he wasn't fast, but five flat. Oh, yeah, and that, and that kills you. I mean, and just look what the NFL look at look at the quarterbacks. I mean, I mean, so Jalen Hurts was taken ahead of Jake Fromm, right? Uh, now, in terms of things that quarterbacks have to do uh, from the shoulders, I'm not saying that Jalen Hurts is an idiot or anything like that. Not at all. He was a very good quarterback in, in at the college level, but he was not. I would say, and certainly they ran different offenses, so he was asked to do different things. But he was certainly not uh, as cerebral as Jake was. At least that's I guess the reputation there. But he was far more athletic, and he gets taken in the second round. Uh, and he's probably not going to start right away, but there, but the athleticism there—that's kind of what you see the NFL moving towards. I mean, look at the guys who got drafted in the first round at the quarterback position. You got Joe Burrow, who is a, a very, very—I I I won't call him an underrated athlete anymore. I think people understand how good of an athlete he is. I think he was an underrated athlete early in the year. People have caught on to that. Um, and then you've got Justin Herbert, who's a really, really good athlete. Basically, run, won the Rose Bowl with his legs this past year. And then uh, you've got Jordan Love, who is a, also a very good athlete. I think he was like a mid four seven forty yard dash, uh, big physical guy as well. well. Here's, the thing, here's the thing too, like outside of Eason, like for the most part with quarterbacks, you're either an athletic guy or you're someone who just has that big arm that they feel like they can develop. Yeah, that that, that you're exactly right. The NFL is, is you. You're really gonna have to be one of two things. You have to, you have to have that big cannon arm that's that some. Coaches and scouts just get enamored with, or you have to have nowadays it's moving more towards you having the athleticism to make things happen. Whether you are, you have to be, I'm not even talking about Lamar Jackson level. I mean, you, you can look at Russell Wilson, you can look at Aaron Rodgers as a very, very good athlete. I know he doesn't get that reputation, but inside the pocket, that guy can move. He can make plays, extend plays with his legs. Absolutely. Those are the kind of things you have to be able to do if you don't have the can arm, or you can be like Russell Wilson, have a really strong arm and also have the athleticism. That's when you get an elite quarterback in the NFL. Uh, but Jake doesn't really have either one of those traits. So 
that to me was what was a big factor in this. Um, but in terms of why he, I, I think honestly, I, it was a very multifaceted decision for him to leave early. And I don't have, I don't know Jake, never met the guy. Um, but just from just hearing things around town here in Athens, I mean, there's, there are a number of things that played that factor into his decision. I mean, number one, like he was certainly frustrated with the offense. There's no doubt about that. Uh, he felt like last year's offense was, I mean, we all know what it was, but he felt like we did not maximize the skill sets of some of the guys that we had um, on the roster. And you and I were talking about that all offseason long. I think we are all season long. We agreed with that. Like maybe we didn't have as many uh, elite skill players as we've had in the past, but we had enough talent to do some things. We had guys with certain skills that we could have utilized far more efficiently and effectively, in my opinion. I think Jake, and I know actually that Jake felt the same way. Um, and I think he felt like because of that, it put a lot more on him. Uh, and he was working with, when you're trying to run, basically it's kind of like what we said all year long, when you're trying to run the same offense you ran with Riley Ridley and Javon Wims and J.J. Holloman with guys like Tyler Simmons and Kiaris Jackson, who just don't, I'm not saying they aren't talented, they don't have the same skill set as those other guys. That obviously is going to be frustrating for a quarterback. There's no doubt. Um, I think you also look at who is coming back this year. If you're if you're making a decision based on your NFL future and what's going to help you get to the NFL um, and get picked as, as high as you can, you have to look at who you have coming back and how that's going to affect your performance the, your senior year if you decide to come back. And I think he looked around and said, okay, look, I got George Pickens coming back. He looks like he's turned the corner. He's going to be an elite re- receiver. But who else do we have in terms of proven playmakers outside of that who do we have outside of that proven wise on the outside? We don't, we have some guys that think can be good players, but we don't know. Like we just, there, there's certainly some uncertainty there. And then that's, that's tough for a quarterback to come back into that situation. If there's some uncertainty there, also you're losing um, four starting offensive line. I know get Ben Cleveland back. He has starting experience, but four starters from last year's uh, offensive line, at least in the, for most of the season are gone. You have a new offensive coordinator coming in who I, I think is going to be a, a far uh, better coordinator than what we've had the past couple of years, but he's going to be a new guy and you've got to learn that system and you don't know how, how well do you fit in that system? There's some questions. There's some concern. It, it would have been his third offense coordinator in four years. Uh, and then I, here's the, something I don't, I want to get your take on this Curtis, because I think this was a factor. I really believe this. I mean, you saw on social media, I mean, you, you, you saw all around, like there were some people in the Georgia fan base who were gleeful over the fact that that Jake Fromm dropped as far as he did, did you notice that? Did you catch on any catch on any of that? Um, it may have gone on, and if that was the case, um, this may sound cold hearted, but you got to have thicker skin to that because you're going to have an entire fan base in the pros who realistically don't give a, a single crap about you. Absolutely, you're just, another, you're just another player they can cut and go sign to someone else. Yeah. Yeah, I, you're right. I mean, you absolutely. And I'm not saying this is the the like primary factor, but I, I do think like if you're if you consider everything else I just laid out, and you're still kind of on, on on the edge, and you're not sure, uh, you're on the fence. Am I going to come back? Am I going to go? And you think about like, wow, like I've given my heart and soul to this fan base. I've done everything I possibly can, and uh, I get like ridiculous, irrational hate all year long, basically because I beat out two five stars that that certain segments of the fan base had already claimed as like their guy. And uh, when I beat them out, all of a sudden that means I'm a terrible guy and everything I do is just magnified tenfold. And you're right, other quarterbacks deal with that too. He's certainly not the only quarterback who's dealt with that. But I, he absolutely dealt with a significant level of that here in Athens, especially this this last year when you see what, what Fields was able to do at Ohio State and ultimately how our, our offense fared this year and how Jake fared in his final year in Athens. So I think like if you're on the fence, that certainly could be a factor. Again, I'm not saying it's 
it was the primary motivating factor behind his decision to go pro. But I do think it was somewhere in in the mix there. I think that had to be something because uh, I know that's that's got to wear on you when you. And again, you're right. You got to have th- thick skin. You got to be able to do that because you get in the NFL and it can get. I mean, look at Jameis Winston in, in Tampa Bay, right? Uh, that kind of thing. It can get. Yeah, I mean, like you could literally be a top pick, and if you can't do it, they're like they'll cut you, and you'll be jobless. Um, Yeah. So you've got a eagle fan base, right? Think about like how those guys would treat somebody. Absolutely. And so that's my biggest thing, especially like when you go into a career path and go down that route, you're gonna deal with that type people. You have people that love you and people that hate you and just want you to fail. But in general, that's just how how it is, and it may hurt. But the reality is, that's what you got to deal with. And if that's, I, I mean. I mean, it'll it'll affect everyone. It's easy to say that it wouldn't affect me, but it would affect you. But it's just how things are. I mean, you you'll face that ne- at the next level too. Probably worse. Yeah. Oh sure, but I mean, you absolutely will. But I guess on one level, you can say you're also getting. I don't, I don't know if that, how much of a difference it would make because I haven't been in that situation. But you're getting paid for the next level, so maybe that makes it a little easier to deal yeah, with. Yeah, but here's the thing too: as a fifth round picker later, you may not get paid long. Yeah, there's, and that's another thing about like, there's no, like, Jay Fromm, there's no guarantees even to make the team. Like, no, especially as you mentioned, they've already got three quarterbacks. Yeah, and we'll we'll come back, we'll come to that in just a second. But one more thing I want to ask you about the decision before we move on is all right, so we we went over the reasons why uh, we think he came out early, why you can kind of justify that. But looking back, like, I think, again, like, it's, it's second guessing and armchair quarterback, but I guess kind of what you do in a podcast after the NFL draft and a guy kind of drops further than you expected him to. So ultimately, like looking back, was this the right decision for Jake Fromm to come out or should he have come back for a senior season? Um, maybe he should have come back for his senior season. But in the end, like I said, I don't think much was going to change. Yeah, I think it's easy to look back now. Obviously, it's very easy to look back and say, oh, God, yeah, obviously you should have come back. You had a third, fourth, uh, third to fourth round grade um, and then you dropped in the middle of the fifth round. Like, yeah, obviously you should have come back one more year. But you're exactly right. Like, that's the thing I come back to is like the physical tools were not going to change. In that regard, that's very true. I, I will give you that a hundred percent. Like that, they were like he wasn't gonna get faster. His arm wasn't gonna get stronger. Like there's there's some minor things you can do to work on that a little bit. But you, like you're not gonna get demonstrably faster, or uh, your arms not gonna get demonstrably, demonstrably stronger. It's just not gonna happen when you're at this stage in your career. But here's what I would argue: when you don't have the physical makeup, which Jake clearly does not, if you are in that situation, you don't have those tools. If you decide to declare early. Everything else has to be sparkling. Everything around you has to be sparkling. Like, if let me ask you this: If Jake would have come out after the 2018 season, do you think he drops to the middle of the fifth round? No, not at all. I don't. I don't either. Because if you look at his stats, the way he performed that year, I mean, in terms of uh, of efficiency, he was top three nationally in quarterback efficiency ratings, according to ESPN's metrics. Top three, right? Top three nationally, buying Kyler Murray and Tua Tagovailoa. I think he would have been at least a, at least a third round pick if he comes out after 2018. Now he couldn't have because he was only a true sophomore. But I think if he, if he would have had that same caliber season that he had, or if he would have had that caliber of season in 2019, I think he probably would have been a third round pick. But he came out after by far his worst season when a lot of those physical deficiencies, which were always there, but they were underscored tremendously based on, I mean, we, we saw the, just the lack of skill. Well, like I mean, like things you saw, like that pick six against South Carolina. Terrible. Coaches, coaches are going to look at that and think, what were you thinking? Because like you said, like, I mean, one of his big things is being smart with the ball and things like that. And he showed t- yeah. times where he didn't do it. 
Yeah, when you have the when you don't have the physical tools, your margin for error from this, this decision making standpoint is it's reduced tremendously. It is like you can't make those mistakes. Like other other players might be able to get away with that because they can make up for it with other throws with their arm and their physical tools, but Jake can't. He can't get away with it. He just can't make any of those kind of mistakes. And also, by the way, on that throw, if he had a stronger arm, that that ball would have gotten out of bounds. You know, he was trying to throw it away. That ball would have got. I think I I still think he was trying to throw that ball away, but he didn't have the arm to get it out of bounds when he couldn't put everything into it. And then that, I mean, obviously changed the game. Whereas, um, you know, maybe uh, uh, Jacob Eason, I know he got, he dropped to the fourth round too, but somebody with a stronger arm could have gotten that ball out of bounds. So like when you don't have the physical tools, you, you just like, you can't come out uh, coming out of your coming off of your worst season by far. You just, you simply cannot do it. It's just, there's no way that you're going to, get drafted where you think you should be drafted when you're coming off of your worst season. So I think he absolutely could have benefited by coming back and putting together a more consistent season and addressing maybe some of those things that he could have addressed. I don't think he could have fixed everything, like we've said, especially the physical stuff. But I think there's some things he could have addressed. And, and I, I don't think – even if he came back, I don't see him getting into the first or second round. I don't think he, that would have, it would have done that. But I think he could have at least gotten himself into the third round where he where he was kind of grayed out as – um, where a team has more invested in you and you kind of have a better shot to make the team and, and who knows, maybe eventually have a shot at the starting job depending on the situation you find yourself into. So yeah, I think he, I think it would have been a better decision for him to come back. Now I, I know in retrospect, you can say that, but um, I, I think it certainly would not have hurt him at all to come back. And plus like we just mentioned, he might not ever start a football game ever again in his life. As much as Jake Fromm loves to play the game of football, he comes back, he's at least guaranteed, I, I would say, at least 13 games, maybe even 14 games. Who knows? Maybe 15 games as a starting quarterback. One last run playing the game, doing the thing that you love to do, which you might not be able to do again. Uh, so you just got to look at it that way too. But all right, before we move on to discuss some of our other players, let's quickly talk about the situation. Jake finds himself in a Buffalo. We kind of mentioned it briefly a second ago. But how good of an eventual landing spot was that for him, Kurt? What do you see his future like in Buffalo? Uh, he better get comfortable on the bench and standing in the cold because uh, Josh Allen is a very dependable quarterback. You know, he's tough. He can take the hits talented. and things like that. Yeah, and, he's, well, and that's what I say. He's very talented. He's like Jalen Hurts got lucky, I think, going to uh, the Eagles somewhere where Carson Wentz has a history of getting hurt. But Josh Allen's a very tough quarterback that's also talented. Um, and I don't see him going anywhere for a while because I think he fits, you know, that cold weather up there very well. Yeah, and I think Josh Allen is like talk about – the difference between him and Jake Fromm, I mean, Josh Allen is a guy that has the physical tools. That's what got him drafted. Well, and when you play in the cold, too, you have to have those physical tools. You can't lob yeah. balls up. Oh, God, the Buffalo, the windiness and Buffalo coming off that river, like that's not good for a guy like Jake Fromm. Because, like, I know people talk about the, the rain can affect the quarterback. Sure, it can, but wind affects the quarterback far more, especially if you don't have a strong arm, than rain. And it can get very windy coming off that river there in Buffalo uh, or is a lake, whatever, the, whatever body of water it might be there in Buffalo. Uh, and that and with his hand side, it's, God, it's just that's not a good spot for him, to be honest. Um, but on one level, you can look at it and say, okay, Josh Allen, you're right, Kurt. He's very, very physically gifted. Um, I think that they like him in Buffalo. He's clearly their starter. But I would also argue that I don't know if he's fully entrenched himself yet after two years. Like, I don't know. Like, I'm not saying they're ready to move on from this guy or his job's in jeopardy or anything like right now. But it, like to me, it kind of reminds me of the early Jameis Winston years where, like, yeah, you're definitely our starter. Um, and we invested a lot of, we invested a first round draft pick in you. So we're gonna give you every opportunity, but like, we're not maybe completely 1000% sold on the idea that we 
completely a million percent believe in you long term yet because if you look at some Allen's numbers, I mean he's he hasn't completed above fifty eight point eight percent of his passes in his two years as a starter. Now he's young and he's still learning, and maybe that'll improve this year. He's shown some flashes. He's got his team into the playoffs, uh, which is big. Uh, but I, I, I wouldn't say that he's completely a thousand percent entrenched yet. I, I think like if he would have gone to a situation where it's like Seattle, where Russell Wilson's the quarterback, Russell Wilson is entrenched. Russell Wilson's not going anywhere, right? This is not happening. So he, he at least the very least didn't, he found himself in a situation where like, I don't know, maybe Josh Allen pulls a Jameis Winston. I'm not saying he will, but, but possibly. Um, but then you mentioned, you also have Matt Barkley and Davis Mills. So there's no guarantee that Jake's even going to be the number one backup. There's no guarantee there. I mean, I will say Barkley will likely be more expensive to keep around. I think he's like in his eighth or ninth year in the NFL now, which is hard to believe. So like the fact that he'll demand more money, maybe that uh, it'll be more expensive to keep around. Maybe that kind of works in Jake's favor if he can go in there and impress some people. But even if Jake wins the backup job, here's what I would say. Even if he wins the backup job, he's going to have to be the beneficiary of someone else's misfortune to become the starter, like a la Tom Brady and Drew uh, Drew Bledsoe type situation from years and years ago, right? Where Bledsoe's the starter, gets hurt, Brady comes in, and the rest is history. And I'm obviously not saying Jay Fromm is Tom Brady, but it's not to be something like that for him to even get a shot to be the starter in Buffalo. He's not just going to come in there and impress people so much that he's going to unseat Josh Allen, like right away. That's just not happening. So it's going to take something like that. So I I guess it's not the worst situation for him to find himself in, but – Maybe not the best either. Not at all. Um, all right, let's move on a little bit here. It's about some other guys. Uh, we've got actually some better news to discuss. And uh, let's start with Andrew Thomas here as, uh, among the good news. Uh, so it was that was at least a somewhat surprising selection for Andrew Thomas who inside the top five, the number four overall pick uh, to the Giants. The Giants offensive line has been a disaster for a couple of years now. I know Eli Manning has regressed, but the offensive line has certainly not helped matters at all. And they were uh, clearly dead set on fixing that. And uh, they saw Andrew Thomas clearly as a big part of that solution. But, Kurt, how surprised were you that Thomas went inside the top five? I was very surprised because I saw something I probably agreed with it, that the Giants probably could have traded back a pick or two um, and still of gotten Thomas. Oh, you could have yeah. seen a team that – yeah, you could have seen a team that maybe wanted to get Tua or someone – or just force someone's hands and trade up and things. And that's the only thing that got me is he was – yeah, it's not uh, – to me, I'm not surprised he was the first offensive line taken, more so where he was taken. Yeah, you and I talked about it on our NFL Draft Preview show, talking about all of our players and what they might project. To us, it was pretty clear, like, that Andrew Thomas was the best tackle in this draft. And honestly, like, we were questioning, like, what – what are these people talking about? These analysts, these Jap- these Mel Kuypers of the world, the Tom McShakes, how is Andrew Thomas not con- considered the consensus number one tackle in this draft? Like you tell people talking about Tristan Wirfs, Mackay Beckton, good players in their own right. Yeah, I'm not saying they're bad players, but I just did not understand what they were talking about. And it kind of played out that way. And I, I, it seems like, obviously, uh, some teams had – and maybe there's a situation, Kurt, that there was some buzz around the NFL in those uh, – among teams, maybe that it hadn't got out to the analysts yet – because uh, of obviously the whole COVID-19 situation, that he was considered a top five caliber player. Maybe they thought someone might try to trade up and get him if they didn't take him there. But if you look around, I mean, like, two goes five, Herbert goes six, Derek Brown goes seven, um, Simmons goes eight. I I don't know if any of those teams were in the market for – See, that's the thing. None of them were – like, you could have traded back. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, yeah, from that re- that perspective, I see what you're saying. But honestly, I wasn't so I wasn't shocked to see him be the first tackle taken. Uh, it was a it was it was again mildly surprising because you'd heard so much from the analysts out there about Makai Becton and Tristan Wirfs and, and, and all of those names. But uh, 
I wasn't stunned. Like, I, again, I thought he should have been the first pick take, the first tackle taken. So when my wife and I were watching it on Thursday night and his name popped up there with the number four pick, like we all, uh, we both kind of let out a, uh, a very excited scream. And uh, we're very, very happy for Andrew because he's a really good dude. And um, it's, it's great to see him have the success that he deserves. It's also great for our program as well. But Thomas wasn't the only Georgia Bulldog offensive lineman to go in the first round of this year's NFL draft, as the Tennessee Titans also selected Isaiah Wilson, our right tackle, our former former right tackle, with the 29th pick in the first round. Now, the big Brooklyn boy is staying down south, but Curtis, did the Titans reach here, or was Wilson worthy of that first-round selection? Um, I honestly believe it was a little bit of a reach at the time. Um, You can argue that. To be honest, I to yeah. me what was shocking is I could have seen him and Swift switched uh, the the places they were picked like the the sure. time the Titans yeah and the Titans that they ended up going I think it was the dude out of uh, Appalachian State as as the right back they took they took him later and so I guess they saw more value taking Isaiah Wilson in the first round and take I think it was Darrington Evans out of Appalachian State in the second or third round uh, as the guy to kind of match with Derrick Henry in uh, in, in Nashville. So, yeah, I was – I thought that – we'll get to Swift here in a minute. I thought that Swift might have, actually have a shot to be selected there by the Titans. And, look, I think Isaiah Wilson has um, really great physical tools. He's obviously a massive human being, and he's really tough for off, for uh, pass rushers just to get around him. He's such a massive block of humanity. It's just very difficult for them to get around him. Even, that, even if it just takes you an, an, uh, another split second to get around a guy like that, that split second can be the difference between the pass getting off and the guy getting sacked. So that's been. Well, I mean, it seems like that's what the Titans like. I mean, you look at Taylor sure. Lewan, like the, they like just those massive uh, road graders. And they're one of the few teams in the NFL that still right now their offense is built around the run game. You don't see that in the NFL very much. But the Titans with Derrick Henry right now, that's kind of how they're, they're not. Going. I was gonna say you can tell they're not planning on changing either. It's, it's they're loading up on the road graders. Absolutely, and that's what I'm saying. Like I think he fits kind of what they're like. I don't. I don't think Isaiah Wilson would have been a, a good first round pick for many teams because I don't think he has the athleticism to play. Certainly not. We know not left tackle. He didn't have the athleticism to play ta- left tackle in college. But maybe not even right tackle for some teams, depending on what scheme they want to run. If they're going to put him out and on an island out there and pass pro against some elite pass rushers, I, I don't know if that's the best spot for him. I, th- I think he could be an elite guard for sure. Um, but if you look at him as a tackle, I think a sp- like I think. A spot like Tennessee is one of the few teams in the country, or yeah, in the NFL, where it might not be a reach based on the scheme they run with more of a a downhill rushing attack with Derrick Henry, more of a run centric attack. Uh, I think he kind of fits their their style more than he would just about any other team. So for their purposes, maybe it wasn't really a reach for them. Uh, but I'm regardless, I'm really, really, really happy for Isaiah Wilson. He's just a really, really good hearted, fun loving type guy. And I was really excited for him. Again, also excited for our program as well to get another first-round draft pick. Now, you mentioned DeAndre Swift. Now, once Isaiah was selected uh, in the first round, all eyes in the Bulldog Nation, we all know, we, we our eyes turned towards DeAndre Swift as he was almost certainly going to be the next Bulldog to get selected. That we knew. Like, that was going to happen. The question for him was, would he get selected in the late first or early second round? And I thought, man, I thought for sure. I really did the Chiefs were going to pick him with that last pick. When he got to the last pick, I was like, the Chiefs, they got to take DeAndre Swift here. It's just too good to be true. Uh, and it kind of was too good to be true. But um, I thought it would have been awesome for both parties there. But it was not meant to be as the Chiefs opted to go with uh, LSU running back Clyde Edwards-Elaire dropping Swift the second round where he was selected by the Lions with the third pick in the second round, number 35 overall. So, Kurt, how do you explain that? How do you explain the Chiefs selecting Edwards-Elaire over Swift to – 
really was kind of the consensus number one running back in the draft, at least among draft analysts, like whatever that's worth, but he kind of was. So how do you explain the Chiefs going with Edwards Alaire over Swift? Um, I was very surprised. I mean, I just in general with the way the running backs were taken, uh, I thought Swift, you know, he's from the north. He kind of fits what, you know, that style. Um, I just – I was very shocked. I mean, I know he can catch a ball in the backfield and make some of those moves and make people miss, but there's a difference when you're doing that against people that are a lot bigger and stronger as they are in the pros. I I mean, I got – I have – look, I'm not saying this is a terrible – I don't think it's a terrible pick. Uh, a lot of people are like, oh, my God, like Swift's so much better. Like, yeah, I, I think Swift is a better running back than Clyde Edwards-Alaire, but I don't I don't think it was like a, a, a travesty of a first-round pick. I, I don't think it, the gap is that big between those two. I think they are both similar in a lot of respects in terms of their ability to, to run between the tackles for sure, but also be dynamic as threats out of the backfield in the passing game. Uh, I think Edwards-Alaire was featured more in that regard at LSU, so there was more on tape of him actually doing the things that I think Andy Reid and company want him to do in Kansas City because his offense just featured him in that regard and, and kind of catered to that, gave him opportunities to do those things, whereas we just really never got Swift involved to any sort of degree like Edwards Alaire was involved at LSU. Like we, we used in the passing game, but not at all like, like Edwards Alaire was used. It's not even close. So I think maybe when it came down to it, if you, if you think these guys have a similar skill set, which I think they do, I think, again, I think Swift's a, a better athlete um, better play a little bit bigger, so I would have taken him. But maybe for them, it's like we've seen more evidence of Edwards Alaire doing the kind of things that we want him to do than we have from Swift. And maybe it came down to that. I mean, you know, especially when you can't get, get a pro day, there's no pro day. Maybe Swift could answer some more of those questions with a pro day. That didn't happen with this whole coronavirus situation. So again, I don't think it's a it's a terrible pick. I think Edwards Alaire is going to be a really good player for them, honestly. But I think Swift would have been a really really good player. For the Chiefs as well. And I also uh, saw a comment by Andy Reid, uh, and I think he always says, like, their GM, the Chiefs GM, uh, showed him the tape of Edward Zelaire and said, hey, look, I see a lot of Brian Westbrook in, in, in Edward Zelaire. Obviously, Westbrook with, uh, uh, with, with the Eagles with Andy Reid for a long time there as their running back. And Reid responded with something along, along the lines of, yeah, uh, actually, I think he's better than Westbrook was. So maybe it was something like that. He saw a little bit more of, of Westbrook. And Edward Zelaire, and he knows how how uh, effective Westbrook was in his system. I don't know. Whatever it might be, uh, Swift goes to the second round. I, I I would have drafted Swift, but I don't. I think there's. I can understand why they went with Edward Zelaire there. Uh, but all right, so he drops the second round. That sucks. But like with Fromm, Kurt, like it is what it is at this point. All you can do is look forward. So looking forward for DeAndre Swift, how would you evaluate Detroit as a landing spot for him? Um, the only good thing is he's not going to have to be the guy right away, which is probably one of the better things for him, where he's going to be sharing the load with Carrion Johnson, who they don't have the same attributes either, so they both bring something a little bit different to the table, um, which is one of the yeah. better things for him that allows him to have his own little niche in their offense. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great call. That's exactly how I see it. Carrion Johnson's already there. He's had a good, solid start to his career. He has, certainly hasn't been a, an all-pro or anything like that, but a good, solid start to his career in Detroit. And I think that DeAndre Swift is going to be kind of the one-two punch. You're right. They, they have different skill sets. And uh, I think Swift will, will play right away. And I think he'll be a factor for them. And I, I'm happy to see Matthew Stafford get a few more weapons. I, I would like to see him get a little more help at wide receiver as well. But getting out like DeAndre Swift in there to help him out, I think that's um, going to make them even more dynamic offensively in Detroit. So I really hope that helps Stafford as well. But um, all right, after DeAndre Swift's selection, the number 35 overall pick, we did not have, man, it sucks. Like we did not have another dog get picked until offensive lineman Solomon Kinley's name was called with the fifth pick of the fourth round. So basically like two full rounds 
uh, before we had another guy selected. And he was number 111 overall. Big Solly will be heading to Miami where he will look to earn a job protecting Tua Tungalabailoa. So, Kurt, in our draft preview show, like we discussed this. Like we talked about the variability, like in terms of like how some scouts and teams view Kinley. Some saw him as a potential third or fourth round guy, some saw him as like a sixth, seventh round type guy. So how surprised were you to see his name called in the early portions of the fourth round? I'm not shocked. Like you and I mentioned, the guy has a he's a very talented guy, a big guy who can do a lot of different things. It's just, you know, when does he put it together? When does he put all the effort and keep his weight down and things like that? But I mean, it, his ability was never the question. It was everything else. So I think teams at that point, especially the uh, Miami, was just just taking a flyer on what they know he can do. And let's be honest, they're building up that offense to try to protect Tua as much as they can because they know he can be a little uh, fragile. Oh, sure, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, them being a, a fourth-round pick on Kinley kind of tells you, like, hey, this. I think they're, they're going to give him a shot to, to get a job. I think he's going to have a shot. I don't, we'll see what happens there. And I'm not going to say I'm pretend I'm an expert on the Miami Dolphins' offensive line depth chart. But I think you know, if you look at the fact that they spent a fourth-round pick on him, they've got two of they selected with their first-round pick, number five overall. Obviously, they invested a lot in him. You want to protect him. And I think Kinley is going to have a shot to factor into that protection. I like, I, and you're right. Like I, we talked about him. Like He's a guy that's a talented player. He really anchors well, sets well on pass. But once he gets set, he has to get off that point. He doesn't move around as well. He's not the most physically athletic guy in the world. He's just so big. Um, and overweight at times, let's be real. But um, he also has the ability to be, he can be a road grade. Like we've seen him, like when he wants to, when he gets motivated, he can get movement up front. So I, I think it's a solid pick for them. I think you can certainly argue that he has fourth round ability, third or fourth round ability. If he just kind of, like you said, puts it all together. And I, and I hope to God he does a solid, he's another guy, just a really, really good dude, fun, good hearted kind of kid. And uh, you want to see him do well. There's no doubt. Would you have taken him there, Kurt? Like, would you, like, if you're the Dolphins GM and you see him sitting there in the fourth round, do you take him? If you need offensive linemen? Yes, say, yeah, I think so. I mean, I think he's worth, a, I think he, he's at the talent. He's worth it. From a talent perspective, exactly. he's worth the shot. Yeah. And in the fourth round, I mean, you, you, like, that's kind of what you have in the fourth round. You don't have like many surefire things in the fourth round. Like, you can, you can really uh, hit the jackpot in the fourth round. Uh, but you can all, I mean, you just don't know. There's a reason these guys have dropped to the middle of the NFL draft. There's a reason they weren't a first or second round draft pick. There's, there's a question mark somewhere along the way. And with Kinley, we talked about what, what that is. But I think the, the upside that he has makes it worth giving him a shot to take him in the fourth round and see what this guy can do. They can get it all kind of straightened out consistently. Um, all right, we talked about Fromm going about midway through the fifth round. But it was his close buddy and a former roommate, Charlie Warner, who was the next dog off the board, going to the 49ers in the sixth round. I was really happy for Charlie because, man, talk about a great guy and really just did a lot of the dirty work for our, our offense without being given an opportunity to revel in much glory as a pass catcher. Just wasn't given those chances in our offense. But, Kurt, I, I do kind of want to get your take on this pick. I know it's a late-round pick. and It's not like, who cares? But I, this was kind of interesting to me because I think it's perhaps telling you about some of our offensive issues. Charlie Warner is a guy, and, I, and I've mentioned this plenty of times if you listen to the show for a couple of years. Uh, I, I, I remember, actually, I did a, a show. Uh, I want to say like, we came back. I came back from one of the seven-on-sevens here uh, a couple of years ago when we early on in the in the history of this show it was talking about this guy that I saw Charlie Warner and I, and I watched him several times back when he was in high school come to Athens with his high school team Raven County to compete in those seven on seven camps that we hold every summer and he was a beast like he was a beast and he was really playing like jumbo wide receiver for his high school at those events 
And I mean, I'm talking guys, like teams couldn't stop him. And I know the competition, you know, some of the teams you're playing aren't, isn't great. I get all that. But like he was almost, like he was borderline unstoppable at those, at those camps. And I thought just watching that, he had a chance to be a highly productive receiving tight end for us. I always saw him as a tight end. He was kind of playing jumbo, jumbo receiver for them. Uh, at least in, the, in that setting, but I saw him as a tight end. It, obviously, that's kind of how that worked out, but it didn't really work out the way I thought it would in terms of his productivity as a pass catcher. In his senior season, he and this was essentially as the full-time starter at tight end this year, he caught nine balls for 78 yards in 14 games. He had 34 catches for 376 yards and one touchdown in his entire four-year career in Athens, yet he gets drafted while a guy like Thaddeus Moss from LSU, who plays the same position, but had 47 catches for 570 yards and four touchdowns last season alone in the Tigers' run in the national title, he didn't get drafted at all. So there definitely seems to be a disconnect there in some way. So how do you account, Kurt, for a guy like Charlie Warner, who is for all practical purposes, I mean, let's be real, a non-factor in our passing game? How do you account for him getting drafted when you take all that into account? Um, I mean, I think he was actually a big weapon that we didn't utilize um, uh, forever. We talked about how he was the better receiver, especially of the two between him and Nada, um, yeah. that we just didn't take advantage of. And I think that's, uh, you know, pro scouts saw, know that. They noticed things like that. Yeah, I mean, and you look at – I think his, the combine really is where kind of started to open some eyes a little bit. And I'm not saying like, oh, my God, let's move the draft, the draft boards all the way to the first, second round pick, obviously. But when, when he put up a, a mid-4, 740-yard dash – uh, 34 and a half vertical, 120 broad jump. You look at this guy you're like, oh, wait, well, this guy's actually a pretty good athlete. And I, I think one thing, and we, we used to, in the past, we were critical of Warner as a blocker because that's not, he just never really had to do that in high school. Uh, and I think that's one reason Nada well, started over him early in his career because Warner is clearly a better athlete than, than Nada. We, and I said that over and over and over again. And people don't want to listen to me. I kept telling you that Charlie Warner was a better athlete than Isaac Nada. Nada was more polished as a tight end because he did those things in high school. He understood the block and used leverage and all those kind of things. Charlie just didn't really do that in high school. And so it was a, it was a bigger learning curve for him. And he had some, some issues early on learning how to do that kind of thing. Uh, but I think by the time he got into his senior season, he was a really good blocker. He did a much better job his senior year. He was really proficient in, in that regard. And I think you look at uh, from an NFL perspective, you say, okay, wow, this, we know this guy can block. We saw him do it all senior year, did the dirty work for his team. But we didn't know he was this good of an athlete. You get him in the NFL combine setting, he puts up some, some solid numbers. And you're like, wow, okay, well, he didn't, really do much in terms of the passing game but that was more a function of our offense and kind of the dysfunction of our offense so i think they just saw that and they like, look we know he can block we see these numbers he's an athlete we think maybe he, we can find a role for him on our team but Kurt, what is like what is the fact that he got drafted say about our offense over the past several years because that's a big question what does it say about our offense when a guy like charlie warner who was a non-factor as a, as a pass catcher he gets drafted as a tight end Pretty much our offense hasn't been innovative. Some of the biggest thing that sticks out to me. Yeah, it's just – to me, it's it's not the only piece of evidence, but it's just further evidence of the fact that we had just misused so much talent on our offense over the past couple of years, especially last year. Uh, we just It's just the latest bit of evidence of that, that we just really did not maximize the skill sets that guys brought to the table. Um, it's just not at all. And, like, again, it didn't surprise me that he – I saw somebody say uh, on the social media, I forget who it was, but somebody out there – I uh, was talking about how they were shocked that he got drafted higher than Nada did. Nada got drafted in the, in the seventh round last year. And I'm like, again, I'm not. I'm not at all because I know that he's, he is a superior athlete to Isaac Nada. And once the, his, his game caught up to where Nada was uh, after his years in Athens and learning how to play that position, that didn't surprise me at all. Not, not, 
in the slightest bit. But I don't know. I just thought that was kind of interesting. Guy who was basically a non-factor in our passing game gets his first touchdown ever in his final regular season game against Georgia Tech. Gets um, the San Francisco 49ers see enough in him to to spend a draft pick on. I know it's a late draft pick, but still draft him. But uh, anyway, uh, then of course we got Tay Crowder was selected by the Giants with the very last pick of the draft to take home the title of Mr. Irrelevant. But good for Tay, man. I'm really happy for him. He's another guy that I always rooted for, and I think his transformation transformation from running back to linebacker was just so impressive. But uh, I, I know he got drafted, but for the purposes of this episode, we're going to include him in the list of undrafted free agents because. Like he's still gonna have to work to make the Giants, just like all the undrafted free agents are. And, and in case you haven't seen an updated list uh, so far, as of Sunday night, here and Kurt, correct me if uh, if I'm missing somebody here, but what I have so far on my list, I got J.R. Reed uh, signed with the Jaguars, Tyler Simmons is signed with the Texans, Tyler Clark to the Bengals, uh, Lawrence Cager is signed with the Jets, uh, Rodrigo has signed with the Colts, Eli Wolf has signed with the Ravens. Uh, Brian Harrion has uh, gone to the Cleveland Browns to join Nick Chubb, at least for the time being. And Tyreek McGee, not a name I really expected to see, but good for him. Tyreek McGee to the Los Angeles Rams as of right now. So of those undirected free agents, plus take Crowder, we'll throw him in there because there's very little difference contractually in regards to guaranteed money uh, with undirected free agents and Mr. Irrelevant. But which one of those guys that I just went through there do you think has the best chance to pull a Jonathan Ledbetter and actually make the team out of training camp. Um, one person I'm definitely looking at is Rod, just because the fact that um, the Colts Vinatieri has um, been very yeah. Um, they, he's retired, was, I think. Uh, no, I, I, no, he's he, under, he's not, he's, but he's not with the Colts. I think he's he's an, he's basically a free agent right now still. Okay, so they have a lot of question marks there because he was very inconsistent last year and they couldn't really rely yeah. on him. Um, so that's someone I could wouldn't be shocked to see make a team just because the it's the right situation for him. But my first pick probably – my other person I want to give a lot of attention to is probably J.R. Reed. Um, he's been doubted for a long time, and I don't know why, Why, but um, I think that he's someone that could make a roster. Yeah, let's, let's talk about J.R. for a second. Why – and I, honestly, I don't have an answer, so I, I just want to see if you have an answer because I, I don't get it. Why in the world – did JRE go undrafted? Here's a guy who had a who had a, a fourth to maybe fifth round draft grade by basically every analyst out there. Goes undrafted. To me, that was almost the that was probably the biggest shock to me of the whole thing of this whole draft for, for from a Georgia Bulldog perspective. The fact that and I know he wasn't gonna be a high draft pick, but the fact that he went undrafted that's shocking to me. Can you? How I can't explain it. So how do you explain that, Kurt? Help me out. Here. Um, the, the only thing that I could think of is just maybe his size. Um, Not a saw, big guy. I, yeah, I kept seeing these people get drafted. They're like six one, two hundred pounds, like big body people. That when they put on the tape, you didn't see a lot of stuff, but you probably saw things that you can coach up. I mean, he's definitely not as big as a guy like Grant Delpit or anything like that. But I mean, in terms of production. And look, I know in the NFL is a different animal. It's not all about your production in college. That's a factor, but it's certainly not the – in some cases, not even the primary factor. Because you can be a really productive college player and not ever get a shot in the NFL or never catch on the NFL. And you can also be a guy who, like Josh Allen, wasn't that great at Wyoming, but is now a star of the NFL. So it, it's a different animal. There's no doubt there. But like really from a measurement standpoint, like he's not that different than Grant Delpit. Delpit's a little bit bigger, and he was just as productive as Delpit. Uh, I just, I honestly don't get, I mean, I, I went back and looked at some of the numbers. I put up some comparable, I put up the numbers of some players who were drafted like right around him, maybe a, a, who were drafted in the fourth round, which is where he was kind of projected to be drafted. Like a guy like from, like Kevon Wallace from Clemson. Okay. A uh, good player. 
Uh, ran a 4.53, 40 at the combine, 38-inch vertical, one, uh, 133 broad jump. And JR was pretty comparable. 4.5, 30-inch vertical, 130 broad. So maybe slightly less explosive, but not that much, not that big of a difference. And size-wise, he's actually maybe a, a little bit bigger than Kevon Wallace. So I, I don't understand it. Guys with similar physical makeups to JR get drafted in the fourth and fifth round. And he was just talking about productivity. He was just as, if not more productive than any of those guys that got drafted in the fourth to fifth round range. So I honestly, I just don't get it. You're also talking about a guy who is an incredible leader for our program, a great dude, a self-made player who had to work his tail off coming in from Tulsa. We talked about in the, in the, in the preview show that he was kind of like a throw in with D'Angelo Gibbs and, and getting D'Angelo here on, on campus. And JR turned out to be an outstanding player, an all conference caliber player for us. I don't get it. I just really don't get it. If you have comparable physical numbers uh, in terms of 40s and jumps and all that kind of stuff, some of these other guys got drafted in the middle rounds and he was as productive as he was. I just don't get it. And I don't, I don't know what the knock is on JR. He's a little bit smaller, I guess. But again, Kevon Wallace is not a big guy either. So I don't know, man. That, that, that is a, a shocking one to me, honestly. So I think you're right. I think he's certainly on my list as one of those guys um, that has a chance to uh, to make the team and maybe com- compete for some playing time. I think he's that, that great value for the Jags there. But to me, the number one guy, and you mentioned him as well, is Rodrigo. And, uh, and uh, the, the situation with Vinatieri is that he uh, he got hurt. He had season-ending knee surgery late last year, like last December. And uh, the, the Colts signed a guy named Chase McLaughlin who went 18 of 23 with three different teams last year. Basically, he was signed every time somebody got hurt. Uh, on a team, I think maybe it was with the Chargers. Um, obviously, ends up with the uh, with the Colts, and where I forget where else he was. But it was three different teams. Goes eighteen for twenty three, and he's still on the team. Vince Ari is a free agent right now. He has not been signed. So Rodrigo, I think, has a very realistic shot to win that job. McLaughlin probably is the leader in the clubhouse, just by virtue of the fact he was already there with the team. But I think Rodrigo was brought in to have a like that. That's an open kicking competition in my mind. Because McLaughlin's a young guy out of Illinois, hadn't been around very long, so I think Rod has a very real chance to win that job, and I hope he does, man. I really do. I, I was kind of disappointed that he didn't get drafted. There were some kickers that were drafted. You, you actually, I think, tweet or uh, texted me this, like, wh- how are certain all these kickers are getting drafted, but not Rod? Like the kicker from Georgia Southern got drafted, but not Rod, who won the Lou, Ro- Lou Groza award for the best kicker in the country. So that was kind of surprising as well that he didn't get a shot somewhere, but Hey, you know, maybe it was a good situation for him where honestly, if you're gonna get drafted in the seventh round, it's probably better in some cases to be an undrafted free agent. Cause you get more of a pick on where you go and you can find a better situation to land in. And maybe that's going to help out Rod and get his NFL career, his career started on the right foot. So I think he's got a real shot. So I'd probably put him number one in, in JR probably number two for me but uh, all right guys that does it for us today here on the glory uga podcast we are not done talking about the nfl draft there's a lot more to dig into here but uh we got some questions we are running our mailbag question our mailbag show our april mailbag show later this week and we've already gotten some questions about the draft and really more so about how the draft relates to uh our offensive and defensive coaching and development of players. And that's a whole other conversation. We're going to talk about that today on the show. But that's just uh, that's a rabbit hole we will go down. We've already got some questions about that for the mailbag. So we will hold that conversation until later on this week. So we are not ignoring that. There are some very real questions that need to be discussed, but we'll get to that later in the week. And if you have not sent in your questions, if you have any questions at all, and really anything, it can be the draft, it can be the football season, the what it might look like, the team, uh, recruiting, heck, Baseball, basketball, anything. Honestly, it doesn't matter. Uh, quarantine life, 
throw it at us and we'll be happy to discuss it on the show later this week. And you can find us on Twitter at glory underscore UGA. You can also email us again at uh, glory UGA podcast at gmail.com. But thanks for listening guys. Um, glad to see us have a, another good show in the NFL draft. And I think next year has a chance to be even better, but uh, stay safe out there. Stay sane for Curtis. I'm Tyler. And as always go dogs. <laughs>